This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, today we are taking our LSATs again because we're going back in time. Uh, <laughs> and it with, didn't go well the first time. Yeah. Well, for you, it was logic games. Uh, for me, it was just <laughs> rational theory and thought. Um, no, it was just uh, rational thinking. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it was finding the exam hall. Um, <laughs> no, no. Come on. We both wrote it. We both uh, scored off the charts. I, 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 did not, I did not write it. I never wrote the LSAT, <laughs> just to be clear. I got a 159, and uh, no. 85th I, I, percentile. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, we have Ken Pazder on the show today. Very Somebody excited Somebody who have definitely, Ken. definitely scored high on he, the LSAT. Yeah, for sure. Ken is a lawyer. He's uh, he's a lawyer in Vancouver. He's a real estate lawyer for Pazder Law Corporation. He's ba- he's, would you say Ken is almost... Uh, like a, a staple of downtown Vancouver oh, real sure. estate. I mean, he is, he's who you think of. Well, if you, you know, most of the brokers listening, you've probably came across Ken at some point in your real estate career. And uh, maybe some homeowners, buyers, and sellers have come across Ken. Hopefully not. Right. Because it usually means, unless you're doing conveyancing, which is positive, but if you've come across Ken, it could mean conflict too. It could mean conflict or problems, and uh, there's probably nobody out there better to uh, to deal with those than, than Mr. Ken Pazder. So for sure. Super exciting having him on the show. Today he's talking about assignments, foreclosures, just general uh, issues going on in the legal world of real estate and, right. and some of the risks out there uh, and how to mitigate against those risks. So it's a it's a really interesting episode. He's been on before. We do touch on foreclosures this episode, but also if you want like the full, you know, foreclosure 101 university course, it's episode 70 yeah, in our back way catalog. Back, way back episode 70, Ken was on. But yeah, this is, uh, this is a great conversation, so stay tuned for that. What else do we have? We have the Oakland tip, Adam. Yes, and as we always do before the Oakland tip, we start with a tip by one of us, and I think it's uh, you did last week, so did I, do, I'm, I, I think it's my... It is yours. It's it is my yours. week, so my are tip... We stick, are we staying with the movie theme? No, no, I'm moving <laughs> on to music. Uh, this, is, this week's tip is to check out this band, 
called The Wild North in Vancouver. A local band. A local band in Vancouver, and I don't know these guys. Uh, in fact, they're, they're far too cool for, for us. They're and definitely fact, too cool. In fact, this shout-out might actually... We're, we're hoping we don't crush and de-cool <laughs> yeah. their If they uh, their hear about this, stick. they're going to be upset. Yeah. Um, but anyways, these <laughs> they guys... Do, they do call themselves dad rock, though. Yeah, um, they just don't I, want dads that listen. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's at least dads like us. Yeah, exactly. Like, not you, dad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, we meant cool dads. Cool dads. Um, no, but these guys are—they're doing like this '70s rock thing. That's uh, I—it's very hear a lot cool. Of Bob Seger, you hear a lot of Tom Petty. It's pretty great. And and they just came out with an album. What it was like maybe three weeks ago. Uh, it's on iTunes. They they do have records as well. Yeah. I went to the release party. I which didn't. Was, yeah, I didn't. You tried to, but you're like, you babies. <laughs> Yeah, you had your stroller wouldn't fit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, stylistically, my stroller didn't yeah, fit. Yeah, um, your, your baggy, yeah. your baggy pants and I, your we stroller were, didn't work. We were gonna go. It was such a letdown because I I, it was I right broke by, out, I right broke by out your my house. jean jacket, which I haven't uh, worn in a long time. Sabrina, when I got dressed for that concert, I never got to go to. Painted on my pants. Sabrina was like, <laughs> "What are you doing? You're trying this to is, grow out a beard?" Yeah, quick? exactly. Yeah, <laughs> just straining trying to grow a beard, but. Uh, <laughs> Anyways, it's it's the Wild North. Uh, I don't I don't know what Secret, their album's do we know, called. But do we know uh, what it's, it's called? It's because a good album. let the wheels fall off. I think it's called Welcome to the Wild North. Okay, Welcome to the Wild North. Anyways, it's great a great album. album. Vancouver band. Uh, shout out to them, uh, Matt. We got the Oakwind tip. We yeah, got what is the let's Oakwind not bury tip? the lead here. Okay, Oakwind's tip this week. This is our real estate brokerage. We're new to Oakwind. Great place to be. Super excited to be there. Here's the Oakwind tip. When you're buying a property, often people look at, okay, here's what the mortgage is going to be. Here's what my monthly mortgage costs are going to be. But you need to factor in other costs as well. All the holding costs like insurance, strata fees if applicable, your property taxes. You want to factor all this into your monthly costs to make sure that you know exactly what those carrying costs are. And I would add to this, and I'm sure Oakland would, would agree with me, build in a contingency. Right, because certain stratas are funding a contingency fund for the building, yes, uh, in a proper way, and others aren't. And if you're in single family or duplex, you want to be doing building in a contingency fund for yourself, just to you know, you're never expecting costs. Well, across across the country, they usually say it should be about one percent, but given our prices in Vancouver, maybe you're going to want to go with twelve percent, half a percent, (laughs) half a percent of the of the purchase price annually is what you should be keeping. That makes sense, depending on the purchase price. I, I'm sure Oakland would agree. <laughs> so what else do we got, Matt? We got live at the Bento Box. This is Ramey at Ramey Films. We're coming to you live from the Bento Box. I think they're regrouping for a big push in January right it's now. So, but, uh, it's so fun to watch live events. And I mean, we have our live event that we host at the Bento Box. But Are uh, you referring to Vancouver Real Estate Live? Yes, I am referring to that. But Ramey's got a whole bunch of different shows, like cooking shows and Best Thing Ever. And it, you can participate is the point. Yeah. So like, what's better than watching TV? Being able to troll the tv um that you're watching or just ask questions and being a civilized human being but either uh, way we either haven't way. got any trolls but if you want to troll us uh we do have an event coming in the new year so Vancouver we welcome Real all Estate trolls live on youtube that's right yeah. but maybe we should cut to our talk with mr ken pazder uh this is a good one always a always a fan favorite ken enjoy Okay, so we're here with Ken Pazder from Pazder Law Corporation. How are you doing, Ken? Good, thanks. How are you? Doing well. Yeah, thanks so much, Ken, for, for taking the time, past guest. Uh, but you were on a while back over the phone. It's great that you came down. Thanks so much. Thank you. And uh, maybe you can start, some of our listeners will be familiar with uh, you from past episodes, but can you talk, tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, Real estate lawyer, been doing this for 20 plus years. Uh, we've probably closed 30, 35,000 deals so far. Wow. Got a lot of happy clients for many, many years. So yeah, we're pretty familiar with the real estate market here. Do you guys do the conveyancing side as well or is it yes. just, yeah? Yes, we do okay. the conveyancing. It's conveyancing. And and you're also involved more in, in litigation as, as well? No, no. We have other people in our office that do a lot of litigation, okay. uh, mostly collections. Foreclosures. Okay. Okay. Maybe to start, uh, this is a softball, Ken, um, I, I think. Uh, notary versus a lawyer. You do, 
in in terms of conveyancing what is the difference and uh and what's the benefit of using a lawyer okay well the difference is lawyers go to law school notaries have less training they're not they're not familiar with litigation they're not familiar with quite a few areas of 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 law that can affect a transaction so for example corporate law probate uh divorce those are um, litigation, uh, builders' liens. Those are all kinds of things that can affect a conveyance. Um, notaries typically don't get trained, or at least most of the notaries in, in the past haven't been trained in those areas. So the idea is uh, when you start out, every conveyance is supposedly a simple conveyance, like it's just easy, straightforward. <laughs> Everybody's going to – but when something goes wrong or sideways, most of the notaries just say, okay, sorry, send it over to a lawyer. So the idea – Notaries and lawyers kind of charge the same. Like there's really almost no difference. In fact, sometimes notaries charge more. And so the trouble is if it goes goes smoothly, great. If it doesn't go smoothly, it's going to wind up in a lawyer's office anyway. So my thinking is, well, put it there in the first place. Right. Yeah, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. Just thinking, uh, it's funny because uh, that's true, right? Usually when when the transaction starts, you're thinking, okay, this this is a slam dunk, easy peasy, and then something goes sideways. Is there a type of transaction that you see and you're like, oh no, like this is going to be a problem? Is there a type of like foreclosure? Um, I don't know, some assignments. sort of assignment, some sort of transaction where you're like, this is going to be a a pain. No, no, no particular type of transaction. It depends where it's coming from. So, I mean, for example, if that's why I always tell clients, use a good experienced realtor. When it comes from someone that doesn't know what they're doing, I can just see this is going to be a nightmare. Clients aren't fully advised. They don't know about property transfer tax. They're, they think they're a first time buyer for ta- property transfer tax purposes, but they're not. Um, they don't know about closing costs. And again, that always usually comes back to the realtor being inexperienced. Um, or the broker being inexperienced. Sometimes we've had brokers from Ontario trying to finance deals here, and they don't know they don't know anything about BC law or BC procedure, and that's invariably a nightmare. Mm-hmm. So it's not really a question of the type of transaction; it's who's involved in the transaction. That's why I say to clients, get a good realtor. Most realtors have a good broker that they work with. Boom, it goes through pretty smoothly. By the time it gets to you, it's often too late to to go back and f- and fix or give good advice right so. correct just thinking i mean we've we've been in an environment and we talk about this all the time on on the podcast but the environment's changed quite dramatically whether it's cra but also of course and i know you have some pretty uh, uh pretty specific opinions on the empty homes tax the bc spec tax all these new taxes that have come in over the last uh three to five years what what are some of the biggest risks in your mind, in in the legal transaction of either buying or selling real estate for people in BC right now, or Vancouver specifically, I guess. Well, I mean, are you talking about legal risks or economic risks? Well, let's start with legal, but I'm I'm curious (laughs) to hear your thoughts on the economic risk as well. Okay, well, again, it it comes back to a proper contract. So if if the realtor has written the contract and he's got the necessary representations in there about the empty homes tax, spec tax doesn't really bother me too much because... 99.99% 99.99% of the time, the spec tax is not going to follow the property. It's going to follow the old owner. So even if you didn't pay the spec tax, it's no big deal. Can, can, can we just, can you talk a little bit about the difference there? Between, yes. So yeah, why why is it that the BC spec tax follows the, the person as opposed to the property? It's just the way they wrote the law. It's just, it's in the act. Okay. Um, so it's it's extraordinarily rare, almost non-existent that it's going to follow the property. Um uh, Whereas the empty homes tax specifically follows the property and doesn't follow the person. So you have, if you're the new buyer, you're going to inherit the problem from the previous buyer if it's the empty homes tax. And of course, the two are different. Empty homes tax is city of Vancouver only, and spec tax is province of British Columbia, which applies in various regions in, in BC. And what, just thinking about how those are applied, um, it it seems like this speculation tax following the person who didn't that, that broke that law right um, that that seems like a, a much fairer way to approach it why why would the city um, it seems like there's just the the ramifications of attaching it to the property seem much worse for p- people just moving to the city trying to change properties uh, because as we know 
even if they paid the empty homes tax last year, they might have declared it wrong the year before, right? It goes back two years. There seems like there's a lot of uh, inherent risk in the way they wrote that law. Do you have any thoughts on why why they did that? Sure, it's easier to collect. <laughs> right, so you don't, the property's not going anywhere, whereas right. the person could be long gone and you you got to chase them. Whereas if it's against the property, you just add it to the property taxes. Right. That's, that's, that's fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> um, Ken, one of the reasons we wanted to bring you on today is to partly talk about it. We, we've heard, like when markets shift, often people... When, when markets are going up, often a seller tries to get out of a transaction. When markets are, are going down, in some cases, buyers try and get out of a transaction. Um, why should people complete on properties or why should, they, why should buyers not try and get out of, of completing on properties? Well, the way, the way the contracts work in BC is the buyer can, it's certainly on the hook in the sense of he could lose his deposit. And if the seller incurs further losses, he can in, he can be liable for those as well. So if you've got a you know, million-dollar property, you've got a $200,000 deposit, uh, he's going to lose that. But depending on what the market is, he could lose more. So, it, it, you know, I would say to buyers, if you can possibly buy, buy, wait out the market, it'll come back. Mm-hmm. And the worst possible thing you want to do is default in a down market if you don't have to. And are they are buyers potentially on the hook for damages as well in addition to losing their deposit? Well, that's what I meant. So, yeah. so if the seller can't resell for the total price minus the deposit, he takes a further loss. Right. Then the buyer's on the hook for that. Okay, on on the hook for that plus the deposit. Yes. Are so where I've seen this uh, in the resale market, right? It's the transactions happen generally. You know, completions are usually somewhere between say three weeks to three months, right? There's the the risk there is is not uh, as great in my mind as as it is for pre-sales, right? Correct. I've talked to a couple people who have at least floated the idea in the last year or two about walking away from a pre-sale that they're uh, that they're involved in, and I think actually talk to lawyers about doing so. Uh, can you talk? Have you seen? I guess two questions. One is, is the are the ramifications the same? for pre-sales and two have you seen have you dealt with a lot of people that are trying to get out of those contracts in the last year or two okay well the, the ramifications are exactly the same so the, the the pre-sale developer can keep the deposit and try to resell it and again if there's further losses he's going to stick that on to the to the original purchaser um, yes we have seen a few people trying to to at least inquire get us to look through their contract, their disclosure statement, that sort of thing, to see if there's a legal way to get out of their pre-sale deal. Unfortunately, again, by this point in time, it's probably too late. Your your your, your remedies are usually in the first year because if the developer doesn't have financing or he doesn't have a building permit, you can usually walk away during the first year. But once you're past that, there's a much more limited amount of defenses that you could say, okay, we're getting out of the contract and this is why. So, you know, one of them could be the developers changing, materially changing the development. That's unusual. Um, short of that, there's not a lot. So, again, I, I still say to people, if you can possibly close, close. And then, trust me, the market will come back at some point. But if you, if you don't have the wherewithal to close, then, then you're, you're SOL. Uh, as I say, as we were talking earlier, if the developer doesn't close, though, um, they just give you your deposit back and that's your sole remedy. That's so. So that so. Just to be clear for our listeners, so if uh, if a developer decides at the end of the three years that they don't want to sell the property, they they can basically give back the deposit and they're off the hook in many cases. Yeah, that's what the contract says, and they draw the contracts. They're very very one sided contracts pre sales. Mm-hmm. So that's where all the risk comes from, is because their lawyer has drafted this twenty page document that people only read the first page which is what's the price (laughs) is there gst on it and how many parking stalls do i got yeah but the other 20 pages is where all the where all the risk is is lying and there's there's four or five really significant risks to pre-sales so the biggest one is the fact that you have no idea when it's going to complete okay so even if they say it's one year target two year target you can you can stretch that either way by a big margin so you, you really don't know. So during that period of time, just as you commented, your regular transaction closes in a month or two. How much is going to change in that period of time? Not much. Two or three years, 
The interest rates can change. The prices can go down. You can lose your job. You can get divorced. All sorts of stuff can happen to you, which could preclude you from closing when the actual time comes up. Right. Do, do you find, like, maybe I'll just put it this way. Would you buy a presale? Like, knowing what you know about those contracts... Yeah, I would, but it's only because I'm confident that I can close on that pre-sale no matter what. So even if the price goes down, the interest rate goes up, I don't, you know, I can still handle it. So I would buy conservative pre-sale. So I wouldn't buy something that I could virtually buy it if I had to without any financing. But again, if you're not in that position, then it becomes more risky. I've had clients who bought two, three, four pre-sales and then they get caught in the downturn and they're, they're getting, they're getting shafted on all of them had other clients where they're just buying to the absolute limit again that just gets more risky from 2008 to 2015 it was a sure thing by the time your pre-sale closed it's up 15 20 30 40 percent and you're making money that's not the case now Mm -hmm. so maybe in keeping in line with the completing or not completing kind of conversation what about if sellers, like, so say uh, Mr. Seller sells his home and and after two months after they, there's a firm deal in place, he decides he no longer wants to complete on the, on the sale of his home. How does that usually pan out? Well, usually, usually he's just going give to the, give the deposit back to the buyer and that's going to be it. Uh, and the reason is the buyer, yes, the buyer could sue him. So, okay, so again, unless it's a really fast-rising market, the buyer has very little damages, okay? Because he didn't get the house, but he didn't pay for it. He got mm-hmm. his deposit back. What other damages does he have? So unless it's a really unique house that you can, it's a one-of-a-kind, you can't find another house like this, he can go buy another house. And if the prices haven't gone up substantially in that one-month or two-month closing period, he doesn't really have any damages to speak of. I mean, he might have some moving costs and some legal fees, but it's relatively marginal. marginal. So does he want to engage a lawyer and spend a bunch of money or the seller just says, you know what, here's your money back, sign a release. That's usually what happens. Wow. But actually, if you were, say, on the West Side in 2015, 2016, and somebody, you know, you had a three-month close, there, there, would be, there could be significant damages. That would be almost one of the rare cases in which it probably was – made sense to engage a lawyer if you yes. have a buyer and, and go after the, the seller for damages. It does seem, though, in real estate transactions that the seller is in a, in a better position altogether, right? Like even if you put, so there's the standard things in our, our contracts where it will be in substantially the same condition as viewed on whatever day. Uh, it will be, you know, depending, professionally cleaned or free and clear of garbage and debris. Um, all the appliances will be in working order. But all of that stuff is pretty subjective. And if on possession day, the seller's like, I don't care about any of that, it's very hard. I mean, often the, the amount of money involved in getting new appliances doesn't like, can you can you speak to how a buyer can can go after a seller that doesn't do any of those minor kind of things? Well, he's got a small claims action, so that's thirty five thousand dollar limit. Uh, so that would usually cover most of those things. But small claims is a cumbersome procedure. It can take a year or two to actually get to to an actual remedy. And then at the end of the day, all you have is a judgment. You don't have money. You have a judgment against someone who may or may not still be around. Right. So mm-hmm. it's certainly, again, something that's, it doesn't hurt. It's not an expensive process to sue someone in small claims, but it's not like someone's going to hand you a check right away. Right. So time consuming, probably fairly painful process in terms of actually going after somebody because your appliances were damaged or, or not functioning. And then at the end of the day, it says, well, Jane Smith owes you $10,000 and it might be like getting raw, uh, water from a stone. In it that might case. be. Yeah, yeah, it might be. On the other hand, uh, you know, you you could circumvent that with a with a holdback, but that's not the standard in in real estate to say we're going to hold back ten thousand dollars until someone goes in and and looks at the house or looks at the appliances again. Uh, in our in my experience, that happens, but it's not particularly common. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And often, especially depending on the market conditions, often the seller will just outright reject that, right? Uh, and in a in conditions even like we're seeing right now i think they'll find another buyer mm-hmm. that's a it's just i guess part of the risks of uh of the business correct 
So, Ken, a lot of people, and last time we had you on, we were talking about foreclosures, but maybe to touch a little bit on foreclosures, um, do do we want to just talk, I was just thinking about just to continue pre-sales. Assignments. Assignments. Oh, yeah, yeah. Maybe we'll talk about assignments first. (laughs) The continuity. Um, Yeah, maybe can you talk about some of the challenges that you're, you're seeing with assignments? Okay, well, assignment is usually a, is, is a case that the, the original buyer, for one reason or other, doesn't want to complete on a pre-sale. So he may just be flipping it because he wants a profit. He may not be able to close. He may have had a change of heart, change of plans, all sorts of things. Um, so developers control the the, uh, the, the assignments. They, it's, it's completely in the discretion of the developer if they allow you to, to assign or not. So sometimes they'll put a fee in there. They'll say one percent, two percent, three percent of the of the of the price for an assignment fee for their their cut of the pie. Uh, sometimes they'll say uh, you can't assign until we sold all the other ones out because you're now going to compete with the developer with your new assignment property. Uh, a lot of times they'll say thirty days or sixty days before the anticipated real completion date. They cut off the assignments and say that's it. Too bad for you. I don't care assignment fee or not. You're not assigning. So there, there, that's the first hurdle is basically the developers controlling that. Second hurdle is in this market, somebody who bought an, a pre-sale a year or two ago, the price might be about the same or maybe a bit, bit lower than what they paid for it. So now to unload it, you're going to have to leave your deposit on the table or a portion of the deposit uh, and essentially give that to the buyer in order to take over the contract from you. So on an assignment... Both parties remain on the hook. So the original buyer remains on the hook. The assignee remains on the hook. And and hopefully they, one, one of the two closes, hopefully the assignee. Right. And then in terms of risks to, to people, I know a lot of people are don't like assignments because they're, they seem complicated. They're, it's hard. You can't actually view the property. You're, there's no display center. There, it seems like you know buying something like that off of Craigslist as opposed to walking into a, a display center is is just seems more risky. Uh, in terms of the the main risks in buying an assignment, can you talk about what those are apart from uh, the development like tax implications? I know you're not a, an accountant, but uh, what are some of the risks that you see? Well, for, for a buyer, I mean, I, I guess the biggest risk would be to, you know, you're right, you can't sight unseen, but I guess the question is, who's the developer? So if it's Boza or one of the big ones, you can sort of figure, well, uh, you know, it's probably going to get built. Um, the uh, On the other hand, the original buyer, even though he may have seen the display suite, every one of these pre-sale contracts contains a clause that says, don't rely on the display suite don't rely on the model, don't rely on any of the marketing materials because those are just for information. So yeah. even the original purchaser is in a bit of a quandary as far as that goes. But as far as the uh, uh, the, the buyer of, a, of, a, of an assignment or the assignee, uh, one of the biggest risks, of course, if there is a lift, if he's actually paying something to take over the contract, is when is that lift paid? And when is the deposit assigned over to him? Like, in other words, the original buyer would have put a deposit down. He's going to have to replace that deposit. And if there is a lift, he's going to have to pay that lift at some point. Normally, that lift should only be paid at the closing date. Mm-hmm. Like, when it really closes, when the deals, the transaction is, is, is completed at land titles. And, and, but in the cases like we saw in the last couple of years where that lift or the profit that the, the seller of the assignment was taking, uh, often they wanted that in advance. Um, I know uh, one of the one of the risks there is is there's the tax risk, right? Like the capital gains. Um, but I guess you just, in your mind, you just write into the contract that, or or do a holdback, or what, what would you suggest there if you were if you were potentially paying that lift up front? Well, if you pay the lift up front, you, you don't care about the capital gains. That's the seller's problem. That's the assign the assignor's problem. Right. But if you pay the lift up front and the deal never closes, then you've basically bought a contract that's worthless. You've got your deposit back, but your lift's gone. So that's why you never want to, you know, suggest to someone that they should pay the profit before they actually have the profit or sort of the property. Um, in far as far as the tax implications, the tax implications are mostly for the for the uh, for the assignor. So it could be a capital gain there. Uh, if they're a non-resident, there could also be some holdback requirements for Revenue Canada. 
Uh, but as far as the buyer goes, he's going to just take over the original contract and close with the developer as if he was the original purchaser. So he's got the deposit in place and he's, he's going to close whenever that date comes up. And with most of the big developers, I mean, yes, it is certainly a moving target as far as the dates go, but there's very few. In fact, I can't think of a major developer here that hasn't ultimately closed. There's been a few small ones that have gone bankrupt before if the market takes a bit of a turn, but the big the big developers, typically, they're going to close anyway. Mm-hmm. So your risk is somewhat mitigated depending on when you look at the assignment, who's the original developer. I think you figure if it's Boza, Polygon, one of the big guys, it's going to close. Yeah, fair enough. Maybe uh, ch- shifting gears over to foreclosures. So, Kim, we, we had you on last time talking about foreclosures. Can you talk about how foreclosures in work in BC? Um, we always have people reach out thinking that there's huge opportunities in foreclosures, perhaps like the U.S., like stories that they're here in the U.S. How is it different here, and and how does the process work? Okay, well, the, the, the difference here um, is that the foreclosures are supervised by the court. Okay, so you have to foreclose through the B.C. Supreme Court. Um, you start a foreclosure proceeding you by way of a petition you serve the petition on the on the the owner and then it it eventually goes to court uh at some point depending on whether there's equity in the property or not a court may grant what's called a redemption period of six months so if the person actually has significantly more money tied up in the property than the mortgage is the court's going to give them six months redemption if there's little to no equity in there in other words the mortgage has more or less equal or or more than the market value, then he's not going to get a redemption period and the foreclosure can go fairly quickly. However, the court will more or less insist that the property gets sold for the current market value. Mm-hmm. So again, let's say you got a $500,000 mortgage on there and it, somebody brings in an offer at two fifty, dollars it's not going to work. Okay, if the property's worth five hundred, dollars it's going to go for close to five hundred. dollars So the, the myth here is that there's deals on foreclosure properties. There, there aren't not in this jurisdiction. Um, and sometimes, actually, believe it or not, you can pay more on a foreclosure property when three or four people show up in court and they all start <laughs> bidding against each other. And that's coming back now. There are multiple bids now in, in some court foreclosures. So that, that's showing the market's getting a little stronger. Right. That's interesting. And then what are the... So, so as opposed to other jurisdictions... Here, it's basically market value or something pretty close. It's very tough to get like the fire fire sale where the where the lender's just trying to to get rid of the property. In terms of the risks, what are the risks when buying a foreclosure? Okay, well, the biggest risk is is uh, what's going to happen to the property from the time that you buy it to the time that you get possession of it. So you're, you mentioned earlier uh, this clause in your contract that says it'll be in substantially the same condition as when you viewed it. Well, every foreclosure lawyer attaches a 10-page schedule to the offer before it gets to the court, and they won't accept it if that schedule is not there. And that's an as-is, where-is, times 10 schedule, <laughs> which says that if the place is burned down, trashed, radioactive, or anything else you're still buying it and the, and the seller is not responsible in the slightest. So that's your biggest issue is um, has the seller, or sorry, has the foreclosing party taken possession of the property? Like have they, have they kicked the owner out and have they got it locked up? Right. Because then you pretty, you know, you've got a fair amount of assurance that it's going to be in the same place, in the same condition. Sometimes owners are, you know, they're not having a good relationship with the the foreclosing party. So they, when they move, they trash the place. They take out the fixtures, pull out the co- you know the the uh, the cupboards, everything else. Leave it like a complete garbage heap. And there's really nothing the buyer can do about it because that contract is so explicit that you are buying it regardless. So we've had that happen to some clients. Some clients expected it. Some clients didn't. And uh, so that's probably your biggest risk when you're buying a foreclosure is who's got control of the property. And, uh, and if, if it's not the foreclosing party, then you've got some, some issue there. 
Or if the person being foreclosed on decides not to leave, which we've seen as well with uh, often there's a sheriff that will come after a certain amount of time, but um, it can be a lengthy process, right? So even understanding when you're going to get access to the property is sometimes a challenge. Correct. Correct. Well, it sounds like as as just a general kind of the advice that comes out of that actually is if you're looking at a foreclosure, if it's vacant, there's a lot more security in in moving through with the transaction as opposed to if there's yet the the guy who's getting foreclosed on there there could be mental health issues there could be any number of things going on that you don't know about and if you have three months waiting where they're still in living in what's going to be your property there could be there's tons of risk there there is yes and no warranties in place basically yeah the the other risk that can come up again depending on whether the the seller is actually a resident of Canada or not. And that's something that you guys deal with in your normal contracts. There's a clause that says the seller's a resident or he's not a resident. But in a foreclosure, uh, even though BC case law considers the seller to be the foreclosing party, CRA, Canada Revenue Agency, considers the seller to be the registered owner. And the registered owner, of course, is not usually cooperating with anything in, in a foreclosure. Right. So the seller, uh, the foreclosing party, the, the bank, the trust company, whoever it is, that warranty clause, that 10-page as-is-where-is clause says usually we're not making any representations whatsoever about the residency of the registered owner. So even though he might have been a, a, a resident five years ago when he took the mortgage out, we have no idea now because we haven't seen him and he's not cooperating with us, so we're not going to make any any warranty at all. So you can get caught out in the in the, in the woods there if the the registered owner has become a non-resident and the property has gone up in value. Uh, you could be stuck with the with the capital gain on that. How do people find out if if the original owner was a, a resident? Good question. Private investigator. <laughs> well, good, good question. I mean, you, you know, the the sellers you you can ask the the foreclosing party. Where did you serve the guy? Did you serve the the petition in the house? And he because they have to serve personal service on the person. That will help. At least gives you an idea. He was in the house when he got served a month ago. That doesn't guarantee that he's a resident. Um, beyond that, I mean, I guess you just have to try to make whatever investigations you can because these 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 um schedules are very 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 broad nobody reads them they just stat they just gets attached to the contract that's what's as is where is but it's more than that so so try location on facebook and if that doesn't work move on to instagram (laughs) and then call it a day (laughs) that's a good that's a good point you can do your own investigations online and as i say they probably about the most you're going to get out of that foreclosing party is where did they serve the guy now if they served him in china or they served him in the united states there's there's a bit of an argument there that shows up a red flag maybe he is a a non-resident right but even if even if he was served uh he or she was served uh three months ago in on the west side but they were they left the property vacant a year before there's presumably the empty homes tax is a risk as well that's also a risk yes yes now usually you can stick that onto the onto the foreclosing party like that'll that'll normally a court order says that the the taxes are all going to get paid so property taxes if you can show that there's an outstanding eht on that you can usually get that thrown in as well right but if it came back to you after you take possession can you actually go after the the foreclosing party yeah, probably not. But that's why you get title insurance. So when you buy these things, title insurance, as long as you've taken the proper steps to determine that as much as can be paid is paid, uh, then usually the title insurance company would pick up that. Okay. Kent, what about, uh, you've been you've been doing this a long time and you've been monitoring the market for a long time and working within the market. Any thoughts on, on the market in 2020? Yeah, I think the market will start picking up. I, I th- we've certainly seen that 2019 has been a lot busier than 2018, and certainly the second half of the year has been fairly busy. What we're seeing, the, I think to me, the biggest difference between what's happening now and what was happening, say, for the previous 10 years from, say, 2008 to 2015-16, is the market's being pushed up from the bottom rather than dragged up from the top. So the four, a lot of the foreign money is gone, but the two, three, four million dollar properties are sitting. And so that was what was pull, pulling the whole market up before. So you had a, you know, a million dollar property is now worth two. 
and and that six hundred thousand dollar property is now worth one million. That was happening before because the the big money was pulling everything up from the top. Right. Now the the stuff at the bottom is pushing up. So the the, the stuff under a million dollars is moving more, and the stuff that's higher is moving less. So mm-hmm. that's a good thing as far as I'm concerned because that means local people here are getting back into the market. Right. That's what we're seeing as well, for sure. Yeah, yeah, that, that that's definitely the case. So, and you're seeing more. So, just like us, more transactions in the last half of 2019. You're expecting a busy spring. Yes. Uh, yes. All signs point to well, a busier 2020. Um, I want to just go back to because you've been doing this a long time. Uh, horror stories. Do you have one that comes to mind? Like this was the, like the nightmare scenario. Well, there was a pretty bad one a few years ago um, out in White Rock where we do some work as well. Uh, we So one thing to keep in mind when you guys are acting as a realtor on behalf of a buyer and there there's this thing called a new home warranty. Okay, so everybody thinks, oh, that's great, new home warranty. It's 2510 warranty, um, which is – the thing is it's it's better than nothing, but it's not so good as you think. For a house, the maximum warranty is $200,000, and for a condo, it's $100,000. Okay, so even if it's a $10 million house, it's a still a $200,000 warranty. Okay, and same thing with condos. So this horror story was this, this client out in White Rock bought a house. It had been sitting. It was brand new, but it had been sitting there for a while. And supposedly, it's not an owner-built house. It's got a new home warranty on it. But the realtor didn't. There was a bunch of deficiencies, and they didn't get a hold back, and they didn't check the warranty very carefully because the warranty had already started and the clock was already running. So the thing about a new home warranty in the first year, pretty much everything's covered. Okay, so even crummy workmanship, this, that, and the other thing. Second year, though, yeah, all the crummy workmanship isn't covered. So big stuff is still covered, but the workmanship stuff, in this case, there was a lot of it. That year had already run out. So they went ahead and bought it, and uh, and and it was like a nightmare because then they found out the warranty wasn't going to even that two hundred thousand dollar warranty wasn't going to cover that, and the seller was a, that's a, more or less of a shell company, so they couldn't really get after the seller, and they was thinking, well, what can we go after the realtor? And meanwhile, the the person who bought it got cancer, and he had a lot oh, of a lot oh. of problems, really serious level cancer, so it was it was a complete nightmare. So the, the takeaway on that is if you guys are acting for somebody who's there's a new home warranty on there, first thing you want to do is find out when did it start because it drops off dramatically after year one, then after year two, and then after year five. So mm-hmm. even that piddling $200,000 for a house, trust me, I'd rather be still in year one. Right, right. Oh, that's good advice. I guess just uh, as a as a last um last two questions here one just because as somebody just active in the market one uh was this downturn as were you expecting were you surprised at how quickly this downturn seemed to kind of turn around uh was it as as bad as you thought or worse than you thought um thinking of the last year year and a half um yeah thoughts on the downturn um it was probably a little worse than I thought, but I mean, fine. This is a this is a major city. People all want to live here, at least in the lower mainland. So, I mean, these downturns can't last that long. I mean, at some point, even the government's best effort to destroy the market is overcome by the the demand. So that's the problem: is the market downfall was totally precipitated by the government. So you got the spec tax, the empty homes tax, the foreign buyers tax, the stress test, all combined to crush the market for a while. So I mean, uh, was it as bad as I thought? Yeah, I, I thought it was. It was. It was bad enough. But the reason it's coming back has got nothing to do with the government. The interest rates are going down worldwide, which is pushing the bank rates down, and there's still a lot of people want to buy. So just as I say, it's almost despite the government, the market is coming back. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and it's just the whole point of like things becoming affordable in Vancouver, not going to happen. Okay. What world-class city is affordable? Uh, you know, London, Paris, New York, those are all affordable. No, they all have way more condos than us, way more towers, and they're still not affordable. So if you think we can build our way to affordability here by increasing the density in every single neighborhood, you're dreaming. 
Mm. Okay, so, so everybody says that. We need more. We need yeah. more more towers, more towers, more towers. Hong Kong's got more towers than anybody, and they're the least affordable place in the world. So the thing is, you can't make Vancouver affordable. Okay, so you see the, how do you make people be able to buy? Give them, make better wages, so have better paying jobs, and tax people less. So they can actually afford to pay more. But that's 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 a her- heretical point of view. <laughs> like, we're going to have to edit that out. <laughs> let's let's crush the market instead. So it, it doesn't work. So I mean, people, you know, it's if you want to live here, it's going to be expensive, and and it's you know, it's just a fact of life for every big city that people want to live in. Well, thanks so much for your time, Ken. That was a uh, super informative. And uh, yeah, how can people find out more about Pazder Law? Just go on our website, uh, www.pazderlaw.com. Call us. Uh, we're always available for phone calls, emails, all the time. Okay, and we'll link back to the site on our on our site. And thanks a lot again for your time, Ken. Uh, that was a great conversation. Thanks, guys. So there you have it, folks, our discussion with Ken Pazder Esquire. Yes, Matt, and I appreciate you using Esquire because lawyer didn't quite capture what he does for a living. <laughs> he had to <laughs> reference a magazine. <laughs> well, he is an author as well. It was a fascinating <laughs> discussion with Ken. Yeah. Uh, Matt Stelina, Cosmopolitan. <laughs> Am I right, guys? Am I right? No, I'm, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I know what Esquire means. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And we should say not only is Ken a very uh, successful and well-known real estate lawyer in right. town, but he's also a, an animal rights enthusiast, I think. Is and an author. It. And a vegetarian, a long-time t- vegetarian. He, This guy is, a, I would say, what's called a trailblazer, right? Long before Beyond Meat Burgers were cool. He knows he knows his way around a tofurkey. That's, that's, that's for sure. Right. And, and uh, what else, Matt, before we cut for the day? What else do we got? We got VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Head over to our website, VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com, for all things real estate related. We got things like our research tool, Private Client Services. Matt, if you are not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor-level information at your fingertips. It's free. It's the best resource out there. We've tried them all. Sign up for your free account today at www.vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. If you're not using PCS, you're doing it wrong. We also got the live wire. We got the assignments going out there. Deal of the we month. Deal of the month. It's you, there's no reason Great not to be signed up. Too. Great stats. That, that's that's for sure. We got all this, and you know what? We forgot. We're we're in holiday mode here, Adam. Yes. Uh, we got Larry Beasley's Vancouverism. This is a signed copy of Vancouverism. We still have people reviewing uh, us on Google. So let me tell you how you can get when we still have books. Sure. So let me tell you how you can get into this draw. What you do is you go over to Google, you write in Vancouver Real Estate Podcast on the right hand side. There's a business profile. You click review, you write a review, you go into Secrets Draw. We have a winner this week. We're doing it at least till the end of the year here, and we'll see what happens in, in the new year. But Secret, who's our winner? The winner this week is Ben W. Oh, congrats, Ben. What did, what did Ben say? Been listening for the last couple of years. Very knowledgeable and informative podcast. Have recommended to family and friends. If you like to stay informed about the Vancouver real estate market, I recommend subscribing to this podcast. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> oh, the old intonation. The old <laughs> emphasis on the wrong syllable. And the, and the uh, like, was that, did he finish on a question? Did Ben's <laughs> review finish on a question, Secret? Uh, anyways, thank you, Ben. Th- Appreciate thank you, it. Ben. Get in touch. Uh, we got a signed copy of Larry Beasley's Vancouverism here. We sure do. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Ben, get in touch. Uh, if you anyone out there wants to talk about real estate uh, in any way or anything else, give yeah. me a call, 778-847-2854 or matt at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com <laughs> or try me at 778-866-4574 or adam at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. And we also have that uh, secret Santa line, <laughs> info at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Happy holidays and uh, have a have a safe end to the year and a happy new year. Absolutely. Take care.
Hey everyone, pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah, you know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the and way. And I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer, and they're looking for both donations, and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. <laughs> 